0: I would like to welcome you, first of all, to The Belly Show and the beautiful Byron Bay, calling all the way from New Zealand. Introduce yourself and give us an idea about your profession.
1: I'm a New Zealand registered dietitian, and I've been working in in academia for many years, and I've been a private practicing dietitian for around 20 years now. The profession is, is in a little bit of a... Well, it's going through interesting times at the moment because the mainstream nutrition message has been governed by the food pyramid style of eating, which is one that promotes a lot of whole grains and one that pretty much demonizes all fat, including saturated fat. So, yeah, that's in a, a state of flux as far as I'm concerned.
0: And can you just give us an idea of what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist?
1: I guess for the undergraduate training, it's it's pretty similar, where some students go through more of a Bachelor of Science with a Physiology major, which is what I did. Some go through Nutrition Science. Some go through other type of sciences and then majoring in in nutrition. But the the quintessential difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist is that dietitian looks at the clinical aspect of nutrition. So dietitians are permitted to work in a hospital setting, in a clinical setting, and, uh, and, and I guess the other thing is, is that the, the dietitian is registered under the Health Practitioners Act, along with other professions like physios and o- OTs and, um, and nurses, so we get a practicing certificate that we have to apply for each year.
0: And does that also mean that part of what you are able to, to share and pass on is governed? I guess so. I mean, we've
1: got a code of ethics, that we need to abide by which is fairly loose because it does just say that we need to be governed by evidence based practice you know it's someone's interpretation of what's good evidence that is the that is the interesting aspect here so as a dietitian if you do something that might be slightly left of the of what the code specifies you do get looked at and you can actually get booted out of the the, the organisation or the dietitian's board. So, for example, if if I had shares in a food company, that would be a conflict of interest. So I wouldn't allow to be practising as a dietitian anymore.
0: So how have your beliefs changed, you know, just personally, from what you were initially taught or, or the codes as such to what mm-hmm. you now believe to be true and how you actually present those to the people that, that you come in touch with?
1: When I studied, so I actually studied in South Africa, and when I studied, and it's a little bit the same as when they study here, uh, the mainstream nutrition guidelines are taught to us, so to speak. So those guidelines are, you know, in New Zealand, we've got the Ministry of Health, Food and Nutrition Guidelines, and in Australia, you've got the Australian Food Guidelines, and they all, they're all the same, the same concept, so you have a certain number of, servings from each food group that you should be eating, you know, for a diet that's supposedly healthy. So typically that's all about having lots of whole grains um, and lots of lots of carbohydrates, fruit and vegetables, obviously, um, and then very small amounts of, of fat, very low-fat dairy products, very lean meats, fish and chicken proteins. So that's been the mandate, really, since I studied and to be frank, you know, it's only when I when I look back and I become a little bit more reflective, we were never really encouraged to challenge the norm. When we were taught about these guidelines, we were told about them, this is this is how it is and this is the research that backs it up. So, you know, we didn't really go, oh, really? Well, what about the other way? It, it was such dogma, if you like, that we just accepted. And like the students today, some of them just accept. But I guess today we, we teach our students, well, I certainly teach my students, uh, a little bit differently and i i encourage them to challenge but just to let you know how i've changed it was around two years ago when the 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 research team that i work with we kind of stumbled on this this information which i mean i i'd, I'd read some of it before but i'd always sort of poo-pooed it a little bit because it didn't really fall into the the mainstream food guidelines i guess and um, and I thought, no, this is nonsense. This is like Dr. Atkins coming back. So uh-huh. I set aside some time to try and prove them wrong, and I try and I, I try to find the evidence that actually refuted it, and try to find the evidence that actually substantiated our, our current food permit system. And to cut a long story or sh- short, there's not very convincing evidence for suggesting the way we eat so for example there's been a whole body of evidence suggesting that saturated fat and heart disease are not um, there's not a causal relationship there's just a correlation so you know that's one side of it there's not a whole lot of evidence explaining why we need so much carbohydrate in our diet considering it's not actually an essential nutrient Um, and and to be fair you know a lot of it was was quite logical I thought you know, it's kind of doesn't quite make sense when you look a little bit more in depth, particularly for people who are insulin resistant or diabetics, you know. In the hospital system, we're managing diabetes with lots of carbohydrate, which just doesn't make sense at all because diabetes is a is a problem with carbohydrate intolerance. So, uh, is, you know, why don't we just take it away?
0: Is that actually, is that a common thread that runs through a lot of dietitians or is this just a, a specific group?
1: Uh, it's a it's a very silly group and, and there's there's a bit of a an opposition at the moment between mainstream dietitians and uh people like me that are that are going in this direction. But, you know, I have to say that a lot of us are because we stepping outside the square, we, we've gotta be squeaky about the research that we're doing, the research that we're reading and the practice. And to be frank, I can only find a benefit for, for this way of eating and this way of practicing.
0: As a dietitian, I mean, you have been using whole food, low carb, and you've now come up with this beautiful uh, variation of uh, healthy fats. Yes. You take on that approach. Tell us a bit more about that.
1: First up, I'm all about whole foods. And, you know, what is the definition of whole foods? I guess it's foods that are minimally processed and minimally packaged, if you like. So foods that were once alive, uh, recently alive, we We term it the h i factor the human interference factor, so foods that have a low human interference factor is is pretty good, so those are whole foods you know th- there's a an acronym out there in the in the sort of underground social media world and also in the research world l c h f or low carb high fat but the high fat still puts people off, and I totally get that because for years and years and years we've been told that fat is bad for us. But suddenly when you say eat high-fat diet, people, people struggle. So we sort of re-coined it to um, LCHF as low-carb healthy fat. And it just, sends, it just tends to sit better with a lot of people. The thing to remember is that fat is a really important nutrient for the body. And I guess to illustrate the importance of it, every single cell in our body, and we've got billions of them, is surrounded by a cell wall. And, um, and that cell wall and cell membrane has fat included in it so fat is an important function of every single cell in our body and it has functions that range from you know insulation right through to fuel um, storing of fat soluble vitamins so it's a very important nutrient in the body the interesting thing is is that there are two essential fatty acids so the word essential means that our body actually can't produce it. So we need to be reliant on food sources. So to let you know what those are, they are polyunsaturated fats called omega-3 and omega-6 fats. So those are both essential fats and our bodies can't make them. So we need to get them from food. Where do we get them from or what are the good fats? We find fat in a good fats in a, in a wide variety of foods. Typically, we find monounsaturated fats in things like avocado, things like olive oil, typically. We also find a lot of polyunsaturated fats in in some of these foods too. Um, Nuts, as an example, um, other sorts of oils, as an example. And then we've got saturated fat, which is your animal fat, which traditionally has been that kind of heart disease linking fat which we are challenging at the moment. So saturated fat comes from animal foods. So it's full fat dairy products, fat that you find in your meat, your fish and your chicken, and things like coconut products and butter. I think one of the most important things to mention here is that we all believe that saturated fat or animal fat in the context of how we currently eat is bad. We all agree on that. We believe, um, our group, that saturated fat in the context of a whole food, low carbohydrate way of eating doesn't have any link to heart disease and, and ill health at all. There, there is a lot of research that, well put it this way, there is no, there's not one piece of research out there that shows that saturated fat causes heart disease and I think that that's the biggest problem because it's always been a correlation. The original research showed that some countries, Um, that had a high level of saturated fat also had high levels of heart disease. So that correlation led to the guidelines. But unfortunately, what actually happened was that there were a whole bunch of other sets of research that showed the total opposite. So those countries or populations that had high levels of saturated fat in their diet had low levels of heart disease and vice versa. So there actually isn't any study to show a causal link. But I guess the researchers are they're disagreeing about some of the interpretations of the studies and I think think that's one of the biggest issues is is every single one of these studies is flawed in terms of its methodology. You know, what you place one thing with the other with. Um, Food is really, really complex and I think one of the biggest issues is that saturated fat is not a food. You know, it's a nutrient and we get it from a wide variety of foods rather than just one food and that makes studying it quite
0: problematic because we're so overloaded as the consumers as to what information comes out at what time it may be hard for some people to believe you know what you're saying for some people you know they might say oh look you know a couple of years ago they were saying this and a couple of years before that is it a matter of letting people know that this research is you're not chopping and changing what's being said you're actually coming to these conclusions through what has already been
1: yeah exactly and a, and a lot of the studies are not new studies it's just looking at slightly different interpretations and going back to original databases and and things like that um i i do i do feel for the for the laypersons or for the public um it it is really really hard and you can see why some people just give up because they think oh we change our minds all the time but that's how we progress in science you know that's that's how we learn and that's how we muddle through things. So I think now in particular, there is a lot of public confusion and that's why I think the whole food message is one which is a lot is a lot easier for the public to grab a hold of. Um, and of course the sugar message is an easy one to, to grab a hold of too.
0: Oh yeah. Let us know about some of the success stories that you've had and actually what you would classify as a success story.
1: I guess first up, I have to say that you know in my in my clinic, when somebody walks into my office, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking to them about dietarily wise because every every person has comes with their own unique set of circumstances. Some people might want to lose weight, some people want to just improve their health, some people want to improve their diabetes control and with with a lot of these people, I've been implementing i guess the the l c h f or low carb healthy fat lifestyle. And for those people who have taken it up, so a lot of people, because you know the people who tend to come to me these days are the, are the ones that know what I'm doing and they've tried everything else and it hasn't worked for them. So we've been getting some amazing results in terms of weight loss, some amazing results in terms of just embracing the whole thing. So you know there might be families that, that make a few changes and go more towards the whole food side of things. They don't necessarily... Lose a whole bunch of weight because they don't need to, but they feel so much better, their moods are great, their blood sugar is under control, the kids are eating whole foods in their lunchbox, and people find that they just feel a whole lot better. So the success stories really really range from from a lot of weight loss to just general tweaking to help you feel better, to just a complete disappearance of some illnesses like gut issues and prostate issues, just simply disappearing. When, um, when the diet comes right.
0: The power of food, it is uh, underestimated a lot, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what, what people need to really grasp a hold of is that every single cell in your body depends on what you put in your mouth. So oh. if we get that wrong, well, <laughs> we know how that's going to go.
0: I'm a 35-year vegetarian, and I, right. I wonder what kind of direction you might expect a vegetarian to go in I mean I have my alternatives like where does it where does it leave the vegetarians and vegans who don't eat any animal products through moral reasons for example
1: I mean, I think it's a good question because firstly, I just want to make it clear that it isn't actually a high-protein way of eating, and that is one of the biggest misconceptions about this, this way of eating, and a lot of the, you know, the dietitians are going, oh, too much protein will put stress on your kidneys. Well, actually, it's not about protein at all. Protein is really, you need just enough protein to, to tick over your body's needs. It's, it's about upping the fat, not necessarily upping the protein, so... You know, vegetarians can absolutely still eat this way, but they might have to be sitting on the higher end of the carbohydrate spectrum than, than the lower end. And, of course, there isn't a one-number prescription for everybody. Typically, we eat, you know, roughly 250 grams of carbohydrate plus each day, and maybe vegetarians might eat slightly more. Um, even halving that down to 125 will, will be beneficial in terms of overall health and then upping the fat content will pick up those other calories and keep you full so for example as a vegetarian you know the first layer of vegetarian so the vegetarian that eats fish and that might eat eggs really easy to do very 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 easy to do the vegan it's not so easy to do (laughs) so that's a bit more challenging and you can still do it but it's again it's done with a little bit more difficulty But things like, you know, avocado and olive oil and nuts and olives and cheese for the non-vegans, all those kinds of things are embraced.
0: Just when you're talking about fats, I'd just like you to also mention the importance of non-rancid and fresh fats because otherwise it is hugely detrimental, isn't it, in the body?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we sh- we shouldn't be letting our-, our fats go rented. And I think, you know, when it comes to fat, you mentioned earlier about what are the good and bad fats. And I, I wanted to talk about the processed vegetable oils like canola oils and sunflower oils. Those are very, very processed and they're not super stable um, in the body compared to something like a-, a saturated fat, which is a little bit more stable in the body. And they've also got a fatty acid profile that causes inflammation. So it's got too much omega-6, which is essential, but if we have too much 6 in relation to, to the other fat 3, then that's a state of inflammation in the body. So the best oils to cook with are your olive oil, um, and of course your extra virgins will be your – and probably your, your more expensive olive oil will be better to use in uh, on your foods and, and in your cooking and can withstand high temperatures if they're good quality. And things like coconut oil is, is really useful as well, and things like butter and lard and duck fat are all really stable at high temperatures and are stable in the body as well.
0: And also for the, the people that are interested you know, more in the whole meat and liver and that sort of thing, Just the importance of sourcing really good produce uh, products because, you know, for example, if an animal has a a terrible diet and is stressed and is full of, you know, all the things it shouldn't be full of, then obviously its liver is not going to be in great shape for you to eat. So what's the advice on sourcing various types of meats and other animal products?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point. And in New Zealand, we're really lucky in that all our beef tends to be grass fed. We need to just be thankful for that because when you go to places like the States, you have to specifically seek out grass fed grass fed meat because cows that are fed with grain, um, it does change the fatty acid profile of the meat and can it can have quite a um, quite a, a lower amount of Omega-3 fats in in the actual meat, so it does it is important what what the animals are fed. I mean, I know in New Zealand some of our some of our cows are grain finished, um, and that's a new thing. So it's just about doing your homework really, um, and it, it does get quite confusing. But but the quality is something really important that we need to look at as well
0: in a perfect world it would be just great for people to make their own decisions based on the information and the education that they've received so how do people find out more about it first of all and then integrate it into their own lives
1: How we access information these days is quite different to how we used to access information in the old days. And in the old days, we'd wait for someone to tell us something. And now there's, you know, the Internet, it's got pros and cons, but there is a lot of good information out there on this kind of stuff. The good thing is, is that not one health professional in the world would dispute the push towards whole foods. So again, if there is a little bit of confusion out there, Moving towards having whole foods and fresh fresh, well, not necessarily fresh, because frozen vegetables are fine too, but having foods that don 't come in packages would be my best piece of advice but um, again, people have different needs and and I think that while I think everyone can probably benefit from having a lower carbohydrate diet, um how low you go is very, very dependent on what you are trying to trying to achieve, so I would never push a a very restrictive, low-carb diet on someone who wants to do this for, for life. You know, it might be short periods of time where, you, where you're going very low and then going a bit higher. So that's really important to remember that everyone's quite different. And I think the other important thing to remember is that this doesn't need to be restrictive at all. And I'm a firm believer of the 80-20 rule. So what I mean by that is, is I recommend people eat well 80% of the time. They really you know, pay close attention to what they eat and how they eat as well. And then 20% of the time, you do what you want. You know, Have your chocolate or have your pizza or have a little bit more, a few glasses of extra wine. Um, and I think that keeps it real but still keeps it at the minority of the time where you, where you have your little blowouts. And I'm just not a huge fan of... Of the word diet or any kind of specific re- regime, because I think that it's just you know, LCHF or low carb, healthy fat is just a, a way of eating where you don't give up anything for any particular amount of time. You just less, you just eat a whole lot less of it, and and that I guess that would be my my philosophy. It, it's not cutting out a lot of things, but it's just cutting down.
0: And when you're eating such nutrient dense food, you don't need as much.
1: <laughs> That's right. And if you can embrace things like liver and kidneys I mean those foods I know they're not super sexy but they are just packed with nutrients it's just it's absolutely amazing how nutrient dense those foods are so we do need to over the next few years embrace and it's already happening we need to embrace those those sorts of foods and you know look at different recipes and look at looking at how we can incorporate some liver
0: into our lives because it's really so so good for you have got to become liver lovers liver lovers there you go there you go and so Karen what are you and your team doing now you know to sort of continue with your your beliefs and and sharing those with yeah. the world like where do you go from here
1: i guess in my teaching job so i'm a senior lecturer at, at AUT university in Auckland so i continue to develop my papers for my students and you know both at undergrad and at postgrad level we also doing our, our own current research to look at you know the, the feasibility of, of how this translates into the the real setting for our new zealand population so we're doing lots of research on that um, i'm continuing to do the stuff in my private clients and uh, two colleagues of mine, so myself, Professor Grant Schofield from AUT, and Craig Roger, who's a chef in, a, in, in one of our LCHF restaurants in Auckland, we're actually putting a book together. So it's a, it's a resource slash cookbook that's going to be coming out next year, probably, I'd say probably around about April, and it's going to have lots of LCHF recipes and resources and success stories and things.
0: And where is the
1: restaurant? And the restaurants in Kingsland, so um, you know you know, Auckland, Kingsland yes. is such a, a funky little area, um, and they are the first LCHF restaurant in Auckland, so 25% of their menu is designated to low carb, healthy fat options, and they've got little LCHF symbols on their menus, and they've got GF for gluten-free, and um, SF for sugar-free and V for vegetarian. So they've got their own awesome story and they practice what they preach and they're, they're a really awesome group and it's really good food.
0: And a great way to learn about food is to go and, and let someone do it for you and then take those ideas home and, and perhaps you know implement yeah. them as in your own kitchen into your own life.
1: That's right. So when you do come back to Auckland, it's called Loop. You'll have to go and pay them a bit of a visit. Absolutely.
0: I'll bring my microphone. <laughs> And my, <laughs> Excellent. and my appetite. Yes, you yeah, do so. <laughs> oh, so great. So Karen, just finish by telling us where we can find out more information about you and what you're doing.
1: Well, I've got a Facebook page, so it's just Karen Zinn Dietitian. And for people who want to follow the things that I write, they just have to like it to get the news feeds. I'm also on Twitter, so just Karen Zinn on, on Twitter. And I've also got a website, which is www.karenzin.co.nz I have called myself low-carb Karen, much to my husband's dismay, but um, a good friend of mine thought it would be a good little name.
0: L- LCC. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, Karen, thank you so much for your time. It's been just wonderful. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thank
1: you for having me on, on the show.